Well, so um, this evening I'm going to talk about sex. It's one that I'm trying to think of how I was going to say that, and I said, just say it, get it over with. Um, and so, mostly from uh, a Buddhist perspective on we are sexual beings, whether we like it or not, and it's very troubling, and it's also quite wonderful. Um, so, when we talk about sexual energy, the reality of sex, um, one of the views in uh, like Chinese Buddhism, they say that life is full of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. And I don't think there's a better arena or a better topic where we find this to be so true as to uh, sex and sexual relationships and intimate sexual relationships. Um, for me, have been some of the most wonderful, pleasurable, deep connections, uh, kind of something that I think I kind of long for in a big way. And they have been the most painful and heartbreaking and confusing and horrific and traumatic experiences of my life. So when we look at the reality of the, just the wide range of that, um, no surprise that most people, and I would argue everybody, struggles in this area. Also, you know, the Buddha said, and I try to remind my friends of this often who struggle in this way when they ask me questions, he said that if there was another energy as powerful as sexual energy that nobody would ever become enlightened, then it would just fucking be impossible. If there was another energy as strong as that one. So to some degree he's saying that it's the strongest human instinct And so when we think about, like, you know, just the nature of suffering and human suffering on a global level and the way that people suffer, usually when we think about suffering in this way, we usually think of things like war and violence and starvation and these kinds of things, right? That's usually when we think of global suffering, we usually, most people, I think, would kind of, their mind would wander towards kind of war and violence and disease and lack of resources. But I don't know about you, I've never experienced any of those. I've never been starving. I've never been to a war. I've never really been the victim of any real, what I would say, traumatic violence. So I've been pretty fortunate growing up in America where a lot of those things have not been that part of my experience. They have not been a big part of my experience. But sexuality has been a very part, big part of my experience. In fact, I started suffering about sex about five years before I even had it. I didn't have, I, I was a late bloomer, as they say. I didn't have sex until I was 18. And I was already suffering about girls and sex and all of that stuff by the time I was 13. Five years suffering about something before I even had any experience with it. Um, that's kind of fucked up. 
And so I think that probably most, mostly humans, this is an area that we, we suffer the most. Not to mention some of the horrific things that happen in the arena of sex and sex trade and all of that type of stuff, which I don't really want to talk about, but we can't deny that that's part of people's experience. So it's, it's there, you know. One of the things that I like about Buddhism, one thing I like about the Dharma, is the Buddha doesn't really make good or bad of anything. He's just interested in, like, what's actually there. And if you look inside your experience, you'll probably notice that there's some sexual energy there. Sometimes it's strong, sometimes not so much, but uh, it's there, like it or not. And so some people repress it, some people overact on it. I say probably very few people have a middle way relationship with sex. Culturally, I think there's a lot of, uh, I felt like for me growing up, there was a lot of kind of confusion and mostly kind of shaming around sexual energy. My parents never talked about it. So I learned about sex through HBO and Cinemax and dirty magazines and just whatever arose in my experience, you know. There was always the kid whose house I could sleep over, whose parents would... I had one friend whose parents would let us watch our sexual content movies, which my parents wouldn't let me watch. But when he came to my house, we couldn't watch those movies, but my parents let us watch violent and horror movies. <laughs> so when he stayed at my house, we'd watch violence and horror movies. And when I stayed at his house, we'd watch uh, movies with nudity and sex and stuff. So I was, you know, kind of knew about it at an early age and was interested in it, but I thought it was strange how come, first of all, nobody's talking about it, how come it's, you know, how come we have to do strange things to learn about it? Uh, so I grew up mostly just really confused about it. I think most people grow up really fucking confused about it. Also, lucky for me, this wasn't that, didn't, I don't think, caused me that much suffering or that much problems, but my first sexual experience actually was being molested by the paperboy. Um, that was the first sexual encounter I had at the age of nine or ten. He would, he was, uh, when I visited my grandparents, he lived up the street, he was a couple years older than me, and I didn't like him, he was mean to me, and he would bully me, and he would um, do weird sexual things with me. He never, it was never... Uh, violent or it was mostly just kind of touching and I just knew I hated it and it was weird and I did not understand why he was doing this or why this was happening. And so I didn't tell anybody for, you know, a decade or something. Um, but I don't feel like that, as much as it was troubling and confusing and I would rather have not had that experience, it didn't feel, um, I didn't feel that much affected by it, which is why it's probably easy to talk about it. But that was my first encounter. Um, and also, too, I grew up around kind of a lot of negativity, punk rock kind of attitude, and I suffered a little bit from... Um, I was kind of pretty homophobic when I was a teenager in my early 20s, and I think a lot of it had to do probably from that earlier experience where I was afraid other people wanted to do that to me, and I was really not into it, so I became very angry and kind of hateful towards... Um, 
that I was a, a little bit, I would say actually a lot of bit homophobic in my teen years and my early 20s. That did not help my experience at all. So it can get really, as you probably know, weird and confusing and just... And so a lot of it, actually, we don't... This is like the kind of shit we don't really talk about hardly ever. Maybe, maybe if you're lucky, you have one or two friends. Usually this is the type of conversation that we pay somebody $150 an hour to have. You know, this is the kind of shit that happens in therapy offices and stuff. Which I think is uh, kind of a bit tragic that we have to, it has to get to that kind of thing. It just encourages that kind of not talk about it, shaming, silence, secrecy. And the amount of people who actually were sexually molested as kids is like so high. I don't know what it is, but it's way more than you think. It's like half the population or something. It's really, really high. So one of the things that um, we might want to just kind of consider that we probably don't ever consider um, is that actually sex is a choice. You actually could live your whole life without ever giving in to sexual energy and you'd be fine. It's not like food or oxygen. We don't need it. So sometimes even that idea would be like, really? Like we don't need it. You don't have to have it. Of course, our culture and growing up, that's not, you know, no one ever sat me down and said, you know, you don't have to do that. It was mostly like, uh, it's bad or, you know, it was kind of always had a a judgment to it. But there was never this kind of acknowledgement that it was something that was kind of my choice. And, you know, of course, the peer pressure of it in junior high and high school was really intense. Once kids started having sex, it was like, if you were a man, if you were a dude, if you were a guy, you you know, you you had sex earlier, you were like, you know, fucking cool, and, and the girls got shamed, and it was this whole social dichotomy that's just really fucking odd that still goes on today. And so I, I felt, you know, like less than, or I felt like I was a wimp or whatever because I hadn't, didn't have sex till I was 18. I think I even lied. I had to lie to make up lies. Oh, yeah, I told her. The old joke, yeah, this girl in Canada one time, you know, like in the classic <laughs> 80s movies, you know. So it's a choice whether we act on it or not. What are we going to do with it? And um, the Buddha also said, and he also taught, there was kind of two ways to approach the awakened life. And so there's one school of the Dharma, Buddhism, where, Buddha, where the Buddha would offer kind of monastic life, which probably none of us, including myself, are ever going to do. But it is an option where you... Uh, you join a monastery and you follow these uh, monastic codes and you really dedicate your life's energy to waking up and to, and, to, and to getting rid of all craving and desire and to just really live that embodied lifestyle, which there are people who do that. I've met several monks. And ironically, probably the happiest people I've ever met in my life are very sincere Theravadan Buddhist monks. Those are some people I've been around with like, I don't know what's going on in that fucking guy's head, but I want some. There's just a, a graciousness and just a, an embodiment that is just really, really hard to not notice when you're in their presence. 
And then there's the rest of us, which would be called lay people or householders. And so um, that is going to be part of our experiences, um, children or not children, sexual partner, not sexual partner. And so the Buddha doesn't really give us much direction in terms of what you should or shouldn't do, except for the only instruction really is to not cause intentional harm with your sexual energy. And I use the word and I emphasize the word intentional harm. Because a lot of times, how many times have people go into sexual relationships, both parties with the best of intentions? And usually somebody walks away feeling not so good or feeling quite harmed, even though there was no intentional harm directed. And so I think that what's really being asked of us which maybe is obvious, is to really just take full responsibility for your sexual energy. Full responsibility. Knowing that if you are going to say, hey, I, I understand it's a choice, but I'm choosing to participate. I, I want that, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's really good, and a lot of people's whole, what gives our lives meaning is relationships with other people, which oftentimes, if it's an intimate, committed relationship, it usually includes sex. That's usually when you go from being a boyfriend to a friend to a boyfriend or a friend to a girlfriend. Sex gets added. Basically, that's the difference, right? And so we're choosing to say, okay, I actually value this and I want this. So what, what we really want to try to do is to take responsibility for what that's going to look like and what that's going to be for us. And all and accepting all of the confusion that's going to come with. And also, too, it's, it's a little bit empowering to see it that way because then it's like, oh, I'm actually choosing to do this takes away our ability to kind of be the victim or they did this, they did that. Because really what, what, what's happening to some degree as we enter into a, an intimate sexual relationship is like you're going to cling to the other person. Somebody one time, I don't know if this is actually true or not, but I've heard this and it's funny. Somebody asked the Dalai Lama if you could get so awakened that you could have sex without clinging and he said that having sex without clinging would be, would, be, would be like choosing between a piece of chocolate and a piece of shit and having no preference either way. <laughs> Just being like, eh, whatever. <laughs> so basically he's saying, no, nobody can do that. Nobody has that level of equanimity or that level of, you know, embodiment where they could actually do that. So you're going to cling to the other person. The other person is going to cling to you. And most likely somebody's going to cling a little bit harder than the other person. And that usually will become very clear very quickly. And then we get set up for that. And then all of our shit, all of our abandonment stuff, all of our greed, all of our whatever unresolved grief 
or loss or insecurity we have. Nothing like a good sexual relationship to bring that shit right to the surface, huh? It's just like, boom. It arises like the sun. And then we either work through it or we do what we do with it and we maybe learn from it, maybe we don't. And on and on it goes. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's, it's just a natural human desire that's just something that's there. It's what we do with it that matters. And it's how we relate to it. And, you know, how do we find a middle way so we don't completely repress it and we don't completely have to act on it every time that we feel like we need to? One of the things that I've done that's been really helpful and very painful and confusing... It's always... Oh, why is it always helpful and confusing? is um, sometimes it can be really helpful if you... When I got... I was in a long relationship and I ended up getting divorced and it was really kind of like worst case scenario ending relationship divorce like like a fucking country song. Like I moved to Nashville and my life became a country song. Uh, I did not enjoy the fucking irony of that at all. (laughs) You know? And 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 so I was just... It was just really... I didn't know what to do except for I was just suffering the whole time. So I took a year, and so at the request of my teacher and kind of talking about this, I actually took a a renunciation practice for a year and said I'm not going to do anything with my sexual energy for a year, including masturbation. Anything. I was like, I'm just not fucking shut it down. And uh, I mostly did it as an experiment and to just kind of see, hey, I'm like, I'm suffering so much anyway. Fuck it, you know. It's like, <laughs> like it can't. It's like when you quit drinking or doing drugs, you're like, this sucks so bad anyway. I might as well stop. That's kind of how it felt. And it turned out to be a really good year because there were, there was a whole stage of processes that happened. At first, it was just like realizing that you know there was an urge or a desire to masturbate or do something. Be like and, and be like, oh, actually no, I'm actually not going to do that. And then having to just kind of deal with the discomfort of that and then feeling like uh, guilty and ashamed that I even wanted to. And it was like all that shit, just like, fuck, you know. And so it didn't take but maybe a, maybe two or three months where I just was fine with the whole thing. And, um, and then, like, as a distraction, which you might have noticed sexual energy can be a big distraction in life. Huge fucking distraction. I mean, people now, I mean, I think people are going to treatment for porn addiction now. I mean, human beings will get addicted to just about anything. So this can really, really, really pull us in. And so that started to fall away. So it was just like, it was like anything else. It was like a rising and passing. It didn't have much of a grip on me anymore. Probably the thing that was most interesting that I noticed is typically if I see a girl or I meet somebody that I'm attracted to, I'll usually just straight up avoid them. So if I walk into a room and I might notice the one girl I might be interested in, my mind goes, yeah, you better stay the fuck away from her, dude. And I'm like, gotcha. You know? 
That's just kind of what happens, like, automatically. Like, I don't have to do shit, and that's what happens. But I started finding myself being able to talk to people that I was normally intimidated by or scared by or uh, being friendlier, talking to girls that I was interested in because it was like, I was like, well, I can't have sex with this girl anyway, so now I can actually talk to her. So with all of the fear and the anxiety and the anticipation and the whole strategy, the negotiation of like, does she think that was funny? She didn't think that was funny, bro. You shouldn't have said that. Just fucking get out of here, man. Don't come back to this coffee shop for a while, you know, whatever the fuck, you know. So that was just gone now. So I get like, oh, I was like, oh, this is like called being a person. Like when all of you know, so it, it, it gave me a tremendous uh, humility for how much of this type of stuff was coloring my experience, and I didn't see it until it was gone. It's like you know, and I use this analogy a lot, but it's like if, if you're a late night person like I am, you ever just be sitting in your kitchen late at night or sitting somewhere in your house late at night and it's kind of quiet, and all of a sudden the hum of the refrigerator goes off, and you didn't notice it was going until it went off. It was like that. I didn't notice how much it was affecting me and how much just day-to-day suffering and stress and anxiety as I was experiencing until it went away and I was like, oh, much better. And the bad news is as soon as the year was over, and I don't think I even made it a year, I think I made it like 10 months because I met somebody and I was like, fuck this. <laughs> I, as soon as I got back in the relationship, it, was, it all came back like a fucking tsunami. It was just like, as soon as, I was just right back into it again. There was no, like, process of it. It didn't come back. It just was just, like, full on. And so it was a lot of just, like, I just gave, it just gave me kind of a tremendous sense of respect for sexuality in general. And how much it affects just my consciousness or my awareness or my emotional experience, the vulnerability of it how much that's in play all of the time where either I don't notice it, I deny it, I pretend like it's not there, um, whatever, whatever. And um, I don't think, maybe for some people, for me, I don't, I don't anticipate this ever becoming easy. You know, I thought when, I, and I'm 39 years old, I thought when I was in my 20s or teens, I was like, when I'm an adult, it'll adults just have sex and it's not weird and it's all good and no problem and the older I get I'm like when the fuck is that going to happen when am I going to stop feeling 17 when am I going to stop feeling like the weird kid with a lisp at the high school fucking dance when the slow song starts playing like when am I going to stop feeling that way you know and it's like probably never until I go join the monastery which I'm not willing to do um so this is one of the five precepts. So this is kind of as people who aren't monastics, or people who maybe value the Dharma, who feel like they want to kind of embody this way of life, this way of thinking, this way of living in the world. Um, you know, we're asked to not harm living beings. We're asked to not steal, take, to not take what's not offered. We're asked to not lie or to say what's untrue. We're asked to not take intoxicants drugs, alcohol that cloud the mind, and we're asked to not cause harm, intentional harm, with our sexual energy. And so sometimes I think about, what would the world look like if everybody kind of tried to adhere to those five things? 
You know what I mean? Can you just? I can't even imagine what the global experience would be if people just kind of, in a general way, of course we're going to fuck up and there's room for forgiveness and humility and you're not always going to do this. But if everybody kind of in their experience valued this not harming, not taking what's not offered, not stealing, not doing drugs, and not harming with sex, what kind of a world would we live in? I think it would be a little better. <laughs> and so, one of the things that I do, of course, as, as a teacher, I'm asked and kind of encouraged and really expected to live by the five precepts, which I do, which is always, sometimes it gets in the way of what I want. Um, but over time, it really provides a much more gentle, um, what I used to experience as inner violence. I don't really experience much of that anymore. Intense judgment, intense fear, intense <coughs> self-hatred, or even... Ha- external hatred. Like, I don't currently actually hate anybody. Which is pretty big feat for me. Um, and so just these ethics or these, this way of living in the world um, is going to just make things, I found, it just makes things actually better for me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to say tonight. And also just... Um, Mostly just interested in what you might have to say. If there's questions, I'm happy to take them, but I'm actually more interested in any comments or anything that you might be thinking about. So, thank you. Thanks. Thanks.